Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Time Magazine broke the news that there was a photograph of Justin Trudeau in brownface at a function of a school that he worked at. Also, we hosted the Mayor's Town Hall with Burlington Mayor Mary Ann Mead Ward. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, we all know what the main story is today. I have uh, worked all my life to try and uh, create opportunities for people to fight against racism and intolerance. Uh, And I can just uh, stand here and say that I made a a mistake uh, when I was younger and I wish I hadn't. I should have known better then, uh, but I didn't and I did it and I am deeply sorry for it. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's mea culpa, uh, that was on his uh, campaign plane last evening when the story broke. Uh, about the blackface, and you've heard the explanations, I guess, over and over again about uh, the uh, uh, Arabian Nights theme, etc., etc., etc. Then, of course, we found out that there was a second incident that when he was in a talent show uh, when he was younger and uh, sang uh, the Harry Belafonte song, Deo, uh, again, in blackface. Now Global News has uh, told us that there is a third incident. They have obtained a video, uh, and they have confirmed that it is indeed a third incident. Now, the Prime Minister hasn't commented on this third one yet, but we do want to, to cover this from a, n- a number of different angles today. Uh, this obviously broke in Time magazine. They broke the news yesterday that there was indeed a photograph of Justin Trudeau in brown face at a function at a school in which he taught. Says he's pissed off with himself and says he takes this fully, fully seriously and takes full responsibility. Well, we don't know where this is going to fall, and there's going to be some serious implications, you would think. So uh, a number of different folks we're going to talk to in the next little while to try to get some perspective on this. Uh, first of all, we're welcome to the program Mustafa Farouk, who is the executive director of the National Council of Canadian Muslims, joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Mr. Farouk, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. What was your, what was your reaction when you heard this story yesterday? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, you know, we were you know, deeply displeased to, to see, I mean, to, to put it lightly, to see the picture of the Prime Minister, um, you know, in blackface slash brownface. You know, it it harkens back to a history of racism and to an Orientalist mythology, uh, which is obviously unacceptable. Um, And that's why we called on the Prime Minister to apologize. And we are happy that he has apologized. Um, It's going to be up to each and every Canadian to determine how they feel about that apology, though. Your comments, though, I want to ask you about the apology itself, because I'm, I'm, and again, I'm just looking at some of the things I've seen on social media over the last eight or twelve hours, I guess, really, uh, since I've been perusing this, uh, and a lot of them are saying, well, the apology is just that's a political apology; it's insincere. Do you do you take the apology at, at face value, or do you think there has to be more? I mean, the reality is that uh, Canadians and Canadian Muslims have many different perspectives on it. Right? There are many folks who don't think that it's sincere. There are many Canadian Muslims who think that the apology should be taken at face value in the, in the context of the fact that the picture took place, you know, many, many years ago, or the incident took place many, many years ago. So I think every person is going to have to decide for themselves to what extent do they accept this apology. Um, you know, it's not, you know, uh, our prerogative to decide that. As an anti-racism organization that focuses on civic engagement and civil liberties, our job is to decry uh, you know, racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, where we find it. Um, and having done that, uh, you know, it's up to Canadians to decide the next piece. 
What are your views on the Prime Minister now? I mean, this was a, a, a gentleman, Mr. Mr. Trudeau, who was a champion for a lot of the things you've just talked about. And, and you know, we've seen that with immigration policies, with a number of different speeches that he's made, etc. Has, has, has this incident uh, changed your opinion of him, changed your perspective on, on, on Mr. Trudeau? So we're a nonpartisan organization. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, know, we, you know, we don't have any particular perspective to endorse, you know, any political leader, uh, including the, the Prime Minister. Our job is to call, you know, on all organizations, all parties, all employers, every Canadian to commit to fighting, you know, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism in every context. Uh, and it's important to note that, like, you know, when, when, you know, the prime minister is not sort of alone in, you know, without a context, right? Like, there's, you know, challenges with racism and Islamophobia across Canada. Uh, and it's important that each and every party leader recognizes that and it takes ownership over that. Uh, whether that means that, you know, leader Andrew Scheer removes Gadda Malik in Mississauga Streetsville, who, you know, shared views from the Clarion Project, which is designated as a hate organization by the Southern Poverty Law Center, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, any variety of things. Uh, you know, it's important that uh, every every political party is taking ownership for racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, what have you, uh, you know, during this election. Does this incident, or I guess now it's a series of incidents, uh, does this put that issue and the issues you've just talked about here, Mustafa, back on the front burner? I mean, it's an election. People are going to be talking about issues. Uh, They weren't talking about those things, notwithstanding the fact that they still exist in this country. Does this shine a light on, on the issues and the problems that we should be dealing with here? I mean, I think we as an organization, we've been trying to shine a light on it for, for a long time. Uh, you know, whether that's in our fight against Bill 21, which is obviously a piece of legislation in Quebec, which, you know, mandates second-class citizenship for Quebecers. It means that a Jewish man wearing a kippah can't be allowed to become a teacher. Uh, it's a shameful piece of legislation uh, that is unfortunately just become part of policy. Uh, and that's why, you know, we as an organization, we believe all Canadians have a duty to stand up for civil liberties, to stand up for the rights of all Canadians, to stand up for a more inclusive society. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, because there was a reticence on behalf of, I think, all the party leaders to even talk about Bill 21. Uh, does does this incident now with the, the Prime Minister and, and, the, and the brown face, does that put it back in public consciousness? Is it going to force the, the all, everybody, not just the Prime Minister himself, but others, to address that issue? We are calling on each and every political party leader to clearly and consistently condemn Bill 21. Uh, you know, it's an important piece of legislation. There's no business being on the books in Canadian law uh, in uh, in 2019. Uh, and, it, you know, we think that during this election, every politician should clearly and consistently be condemning Bill 21. Well, will uh, be fascinating to watch just how everybody is going to be responding to this. Obviously, the incident uh, has evoked a great deal of criticism from uh, the opposition uh, leaders, and, and we're certainly going to pay attention to what they're going to be saying today. Uh, can you put something like this behind you? I mean, you, you called for immediately when that story broke last night, as you mentioned, uh, the National Council of Canadian Muslims called for an apology. He did issue an apology on that. How difficult is it to move on and simply say, okay, fine, let's, let's put that behind us and move forward? Um, again, that's something that all Canadians are going to have to decide. You know, we as an organization, we believe that the path for redemption is open for anyone. That's you know, very much in line with our Muslim belief um, that forgiveness is always possible if it's sincere and if the apology 
and the, the, the hurt that's been caused has been turned towards the affected communities. Um, obviously, you know, we at, at the National Council of Canadian Muslims, we are, a, you know, one group. But, you know, sincere apologies that are offered to people with a recognition of what is going to be done to ameliorate the hurt, I think the door has to be open for everyone. And we, we make that same sort of position across the board for every political leader, uh, for every political candidate. A very busy day today, Mustafa. Thank you so much for the time today. really appreciate your input here. Thank you very much. Take care. That's uh, Mustafa Farouk, who is the Executive Director of the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Uh, we continue our coverage, though, with the, the incident, the brownface incident. I'm not quite sure what kind of a moniker they're going to put on this, but obviously uh, it's going to have severe ramifications in a number of different ways. Uh, joining us right now is Emil Joseph, who is an Assistant Professor at School of Social Work at McMaster University. Emil, thank you for jumping in today. really appreciate you hopping on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, this is a, a very fluid story. I mean, when, when we were starting to plan for this and to find out how we were going to do our coverage on this, obviously we were dealing with the, 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 the brown face uh, picture, the Aladdin uh, costume, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now we find out that there's not a second and now a third incident like this. What, what, give me your reaction to, as, as this is evolving. Uh, I think a lot of people are experiencing shock um, and hurt. Um, we have an example where um, people are worried about the impacts of these images and uh, leadership that is um, not accountable, not taking accountability um, for the impacts that these images have uh, on the affected communities. I think I feel like a, a sense of fear and anger and sadness, um, a bunch of things that I've experienced through my life. And uh, in this moment, you you feel a sense of mistrust that uh, when the prime minister uh, engages in such acts, is there trust for an ability to respond to uh, historical and systemic issues of racism that we experience as humiliation? on a daily basis in education and healthcare, um, in, in, in policing, um, and, and that sense of mistrust, as well as the abject humiliation attached to this, I think people are still reeling from, um, and, and that needs to be accounted for first. I got an email from a gentleman who identified himself as a man of color uh, earlier this morning who said he felt betrayed by this. Uh, can, is that a legitimate uh, reaction to, to what we've seen? I think so. I think if um, it's unknown and people trust that their leader is looking out for their interests and has an ability to respond to um, racism in historical context, then there would be an appreciation um, that this kind of humiliation uh, on black and indigenous and people of color um, through brownface and blackface uh, affects them and affects how we might interpret one's ability to um, advance those goals, those goals of countering uh, racism at a, at a federal level. And when we don't have that information and this stuff comes out, definitely betrayal is, is, is amongst those feelings. When trust is broken, and and I th I think that's a pretty safe assumption at this stage, and and not just among you know Muslims, Jews. I, I mean, uh, you've mentioned a number of different groups here that have been impacted by this and have reacted to this as well. 
But when that trust between a, a political leader and, and, and those communities is broken, how difficult is it to reestablish that? Um, I, I believe it, it um, needs to be engaged in a way that begins from an honest communication of uh, complicity in, in racism. Um, and I didn't experience that from what I've seen so far in terms of apologies. They seem to belittle the act, uh, has placed them in the past, and not recognize the impacts. Uh, whereas one of the other leaders, Jagmeet Singh, um, I felt the, his response did the exact opposite. It, it, uh, it was one that I felt looked out for those affected first. And all he was doing in his commentary was uh, trying to care for those who would be affected by this. I'm thinking about people going to school and work today, um, thinking about their prime minister in brownface and blackface and what that means for them. And that people think that this is not a big deal or something that is funny or to be laughed about, and that is acceptable. Um, I think that message is the wrong message to begin with, to build trust. When uh, his uh, the other people in the party, and I've heard pundits on both sides of this, but I mean, there are his defenders today, and I, and I know you've seen and heard some of those, Emil. Uh, does that deepen the wound when people say it's no big deal, it was 18 years ago? It absolutely does. I think, you know, 2001 isn't that long ago. And, uh, you know, in the Aladdin costume incident, Justin Trudeau is 29 years old, who is someone who is employed as a teacher. This isn't uh, an incident where you're thinking about um, a child who doesn't know the difference between what is racist and what is not. Um, the blackface... Uh, incidents were in high school, and even then, um, we know what blackface and minstrelsy is uh, and its impacts and what it continues to produce uh, in terms of insult and injury and dehumanization and abject humiliation. Um, I think we can't discount um, any responsibility on behalf of Justin Trudeau uh, because of how long ago it was. And I understand, you know, the, the, the rationalization some people are trying to come up with. I don't agree with it, but I, can, I, I get where they're trying to be defensive. But I, a quick story, though, Emil. I mean, one of my favorite yeah. Christmas movies is called Holiday, and it's got Bing Crosby in it, and it's a wonderful story. But he, he plays an entertainer, and, he, and they're doing a tribute to Abraham Lincoln in the movie, and he uses blackface. And from the time I was a little boy, because that movie was made in 1942, and I, I used to watch it with my parents as I was growing up, every time that scene would come on, they'd say, but we don't do that anymore. That was bad. I got to figure that somebody had that conversation with little Justin Trudeau at some point as well. I would think so as well. Um, so I would presume that he knows it's bad, but I also appreciate that it was normalized and found to be something that uh, dominant groups seen as entertainment. Um, but that entertainment is experienced on the backs of those who are humiliated in its wake. We experience not only that abject form of humiliation, but we live it. We live it, like I said, in systemic and structural ways. So the worry is, you know, does this um, 
exemplify um, an inability to respond to those historical circumstances in context as we experience them today. And we also have to think about this complexity in relation to uh, other candidates, Andrew Scheer, Maxime Bernier, who take contemporary stances that are uh, anti-immigration, um, that have ties to uh, white nationalist organizations, um, and how those systemic issues relate to racism um, also tie into this groundwork that frames uh, how we engage in our responses to, to racism. Emil, uh, much more to come on this, and I'm sure we'll have more conversations in the days ahead. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Take care. Emil Joseph, assistant professor at McMaster University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is uh, time for the Mayor's Town Hall. Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward joins us here in studio. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Great to be here. Uh, we, we were just talking. I know there's a number of things that you want to get into today, uh, but there's a big event going on in Burlington City Hall mm-hmm. in the forecourt on Saturday. Talk to us about that. This is the climate strike. It's the strike for climate action that was started by uh, teenager Greta Thunberg, who is now in New York City and speaking to the United Nations about how uh, adults, governments, everybody needs to do more around climate change. This is a crisis. We are running out of time to slow down the warming of the planet before it's irreversible damage. And so uh, she, as as everyone knows, she used to stand in front of her legislature um, every Friday Mm -hmm. uh, as a teenager, as a high school student, uh, having a climate strike to try and raise awareness. And and it started. It started there. I mean, it's incredible the the story of what one person, one voice taking action can do. So uh, there have been climate strikes on Fridays organized uh, since that time, and so this Friday is uh, one of the global strikes that will be happening at places around the world. And and we have a local Burlington resident who is organizing one in front of City Hall. And and we welcome this. We welcome the community to come out, share their thoughts about uh, climate action. We've actually provided a podium and a microphone. I asked for that to be there for for the community so that they could share their views. We do have, I won't, unfortunately, I won't be there. I'm out of town on a conference, but we do have the deputy mayor uh, attending that. We have uh, Councillor Rory Nissan, who actually brought to council the climate emergency declaration that was unanimously passed earlier this spring. So we want to hear from our community about what they think um, the opportunities are, where we need to do more. And so I welcome uh, that dialogue. So that's happening at uh, Civic Square, right in front of City Hall. I believe it starts around 9, 9.30 till noon. So people can come on down. It's it's remarkable. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I mean, we're both parents, and we're proud of our kids, and we want them to be in tune and, and aware of things, and, and obviously be on the right side of, of issues like this. But uh, one young girl makes such a difference. Huge. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable. Huge. You know, you you don't need power to make a difference. You just need to use your voice. And the influence of one voice added with another voice added with another voice can have a global impact. And that's what we've seen here. So I have a, I have a huge passion for getting our young people involved mm-hmm. in uh, civic government. I open my office uh, every school year for co-op high school students. I have one starting in my office on Monday. Um, I invite people to come to my office, young people, to check out what the mayor does, 
uh, ask me questions. You know, I want people to see that there's no wall or barrier between themselves and the people who represent them. And and they they can make a difference. We've had people come to city council and speak to us, and 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 they're very powerful. Their voices are very powerful. And and I know this council and and other um, elected officials that I know are are very serious about listening to the voice of the future and and the voice of the present. They're here now, and they have something to tell us. Uh, <clears throat> for those who may not know, <laughs> there might be one or two. Uh, we're in the midst of a federal election. Yes, we are. uh, I'm not going down that road. I want to go somewhere else on this one. Uh, There are a lot of officials, especially at the municipal level, that tend to shy away from that because they don't want to get involved in it. Oh, that's partisan politics, and I don't want to be associated with that. Mm -hmm. And don't really want to be seen to your photo ops with this one because what if the other guy wins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But you actually engage the candidates in Burlington. Absolutely. I I think it's probably a first for uh, for any mayor in our city anyway. I reached out to all of the... Uh, candidates for uh, for Burlington, and we have three ridings actually that mm-hmm. touch us: Milton in North Burlington, uh, Burlington, which is the southern part and the western part, and then of course a, a small part in the north, which is Oakville, North Burlington. So I am speaking with the NDP, Green, Liberal, and Conservative candidates in each of those ridings to talk to them about Burlington priorities, to hear what their vision is for uh, for our community, and and really to to start right away that that. Up, that working together because we have to. Well, there are so many issues that are going to be impacted by this election. And, and you were fortunate, I know, in the last federal election that, uh, well, first of all, the, the individual, Karina Gould, that got elected mm-hmm. and ended up in cabinet. So that, mm-hmm. that gives the city a voice. It really did. We've, we've, uh, we've got a great working relationship with all of our elected officials mm-hmm. here in, in Burlington. And, and it's actually very interesting where um, in most, uh, so 24% of elected officials across the country are women. Only 18% of mayors across the country are women but in Burlington all of our representatives are are women so there's something magical going on there but we we do uh, we have different parties at different level you know we have the conservative uh, party representative at the provincial level uh, we have liberal at the federal uh, and we have great working re- relationships we we don't always agree on things uh, whether regardless of party but we do have a very collaborative uh, relationship of sharing information and working together in the best interest of our co- community because we all serve the same residents do you, do, when, I, when you have those meetings, though, is this a one-way conversation? Is it just a shopping list of these are our priorities? Or are Absolutely. You, no, are, no. You're that, encouraging a dialogue here. Yeah. The first question I ask is, why are you running? And, and what do you want to achieve? And, and I tell them, don't, don't give me the party central platform. I can read that myself. Yeah, yeah. Tell me why you want to represent Burlington. And uh, so, so those that that's been an interesting dialogue. There are some some local issues, but but the national issues um, we also face. We face the infrastructure challenge. So that's the number one on my mm-hmm. shopping list. And and of course, we're working with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities on that to advance that for municipalities across the city or across the country. Um, affordable housing. We need a national housing strategy uh, to prevent homelessness and and our social programs. So. Those are those are two of the biggest ones, and then there's some um, then there's some more localized issues. The CN Rail uh, intermodal facility that's being proposed in Milton, which of course will affect uh, the roads throughout Halton region, and we've uh, we've essentially said as Halton municipalities, we have a regula- regulatory role to play on all of those issues that don't touch on rail. 
So uh, truck traffic and proper planning and dust and environmental issues and all of those things, those are issues within municipal purview, and we have a role to play in in, uh, commenting and making uh, making submission and and there's some serious environmental impacts that have been identified for that. So so that's a that's a localized uh, issue that affects our whole region that I'm also talking about with the candidates. And, and obviously, you want to get the local filter on on what would be considered, I guess, the national issues: uh, poverty, uh, affordable housing, and things of this nature. And I, and I know that people from outside may look at Burlington. Oh, that poverty, Burlington! <laughs> come on, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. We have there. huge poverty, and <clears throat> and the thing in Burlington is that people have this miss conception of us that we're all wealthy and and you know we're all driving BMWs I used to get ribbed mercilessly was when I was on a panel in Toronto media in my earlier life that that you know Burlington was a city with a BMW and a Mercedes in every driveway and and that simply is not the case we have one of the highest poverty rates in Halton region especially among our senior population and but it's hidden you know people um, people don't don't necessarily look at someone and and understand that they may be you know one paycheck or one meal away from hunger and and homelessness and so I um, as part of Halton Region that's where our social services are I sat on the Health and Social Services Committee for eight years we invested year over year additional dollars in homelessness prevention in uh, food security in uh, assisted public housing units it's it's not enough we know this. Uh, the need is actually growing faster than our ability to keep up with it. So we do need federal government uh, support and provincial government support. And, you know, folks will will know probably that, you know, the municipalities are on the front lines of all the issues that we face, but mm-hmm. we get nine cents of every tax dollar to, to do the work. Yeah. So we that needs to be fixed, and that was a central message that I sent to to the the candidates that we need a larger share of dollars coming back to us. We shouldn't have to line up for grants and funding intakes and red tape and make our case for what our residents need. We know what they need. We need predictable infrastructure funding and and other funding envelopes. Uh, we we know how to get the job done. We just need uh, our residents' tax dollars to come back to us to do the work that that we collect taxes for. Well, and that's been an ongoing problem for many many years, of course. Uh, we look at all the other G7 nations. They all have sustainable programs for for municipalities. Canada doesn't. No. Uh, it's all, you know, we'll do this for you, but there's a sunset clause on it, only a certain amount of money, and yep. when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, in near election time, we'll develop another program for you. But most, all of the other G7 nations uh, do it in much better fashion. And so it's about time we played catch up here, I think. We absolutely, we're, we're, we're not keeping up as a country in terms of how to, to be efficient with tax dollars and how to get it into the hands of those who will spend it well. And, you know, survey after survey where, you know, elected officials, politicians are ranked, I think, just one above uh, used car salesmen, <laughs> typically, <laughs> when you look at the studies of who people trust, municipal level is right up there. And and part of that, we're the closest level to the people, we're the most directly accountable, but also there is no partisanship, at least not in in Ontario, and uh, and it's frowned upon. So you know they don't take kindly to mayors endorsing candidates. I never would. I don't talk mm-hmm. about about parties in that way. We will evaluate platforms, but we don't endorse. We don't we don't you know pick sides. And people people then recognize that. Uh, you're 100% about what is in the best interest of the community. There's no party overlay. And, and you know, I can tell you, uh, I go to all the debates at every election, 
provincial, municipal, federal. And one of the questions that always comes from the floor for the federal provincial debates is if push comes to shove and you have to make a choice between representing your party and representing your constituents, what are you going to do? And in Burlington, the right answer is you pick your community over your party. You pick people over party. Yeah, we've had that discussion with a number of candidates and probably will in this election as well. Uh, with uh, Burlington Mayor Mary Ann Mead Ward, I want to give you an opportunity to comment on a story that was er- on earlier this week uh, yes. uh, about how <laughs> Burlington Council had decided to deal with panhandling. And, uh, well, there was some reporting on this that I think it, it, you wanted to comment on. Yes, it, that was a complete fallacy. <laughs> so, in fact... Uh, Thank you for not saying fake news. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, the, the headline was that Burlington was going to start ticketing or pass a bylaw to start ticketing, um, uh, you know, people who give <clears throat> money to panhandlers at busy intersections. And first of all, we don't have the authority to do a, to do a bylaw. That's Highway Traffic Act. That's provincial purview. But in fact, a motion was put on the floor by one of my council colleagues just to get more information about it, not to do it, and that failed. So the whole thing is completely incorrect. I did float the idea of maybe, uh, you know, maybe this would be an option because the behavior of giving money to somebody or anything really, but in this case money, uh, while you're in a vehicle at a busy intersection, five lanes of traffic, asking somebody to cross lanes of traffic to get your donation. This is dangerous. So there's no issue with panhandling or uh, or people asking for money on the street as long as they're not in a busy intersection crossing lanes of traffic. So, so we're struggling with this that when the issue... Um, falsely broke unfortunately it was it was miscommunicated to 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 everyone but it got picked up across the country every municipality is dealing with this people feel very strongly about it and and we want to both be compassionate caring help people in need and make sure that no one is putting themselves at risk to get the help they need no one should have to walk into multiple lanes of traffic to get a donation well, it, that's the thing that concerns me, and we we've got a problem with it here too. And and mm-hmm. and I know I use that term advisedly because I know the the people that are panhandling probably have a greater problem than I do. But it's a it's a public safety concern. I feel Absolutely. I feel I'm worried about them. Absolutely, and and so you know there were there were folks saying, well, why would you ticket somebody who's just trying to help out? And I say, well, the message that you're sending to somebody in need is that they have to walk through multiple lanes of traffic to your vehicle while you're stopped to get your help. This is not how we should be helping people. So I'm I really want to encourage uh, drivers to to take that toonie or that five or that ten dollar bill and take it to one of our local charities because that first of all that puts nobody at risk but secondly our local charities and we have many of them operating in Burlington they can leverage that donation to be val- to be worth much more and help far more people. So I want to channel the kindness, the good-heartedness, the the compassion of our community where we where it can do the most good. And then we need to um, to to reach out to all of the folks that are standing in medians asking for money and make sure that they know what services and supports are available so that they get the help they need. No one in our wealthy country should have to stand in a median and put the, themselves at risk to get. Get the help they need. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall, Burlington Mayor. Mary Ann Mead Ward is with us for the remainder of the hour. Jason, you're first up on this. Welcome to the program, Jason. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Uh, Mayor, I have a question. You said there's confusion about your proposal. 
Yes, the, it was reported that we were gonna that Burlington was gonna ticket drivers, and in fact, uh, the motion that came forward was to look into uh, and get more information on that possibility, and it was voted down. So it it it's simply an incorrect. Uh, it, it's incorrect. Did you not propose on your website? Um, Sorry. You thought, did you not propose on your website that you thought it'd be a good idea to potentially ticket drivers? for giving to panhandlers, either distracted driving or careless driving. Yeah, I, I proposed the idea, but the the notion that Burlington Council was going to proceed with this or that there's any anything about, you know, going forward is is incorrect. I, I, you know, we're looking for ways to protect people. We're looking for ways to make the streets safe for drivers and pedestrians and make sure that the folks that are in, in need, that are asking for money, get the help that they need. And, and my personal view is that it is not, um, it, you know, it's, a, it's a, actually a black mark on society if what we say to them is you have to walk into multiple lanes of traffic to get the help you need and to get the resources you need. So what our Burlington City Council actually did was approve a a plan to communicate both to drivers about where they can better direct their resources to do more good, help more people, but also uh, help the uh, the folks that are asking for money on our streets and only at busy intersections. This is, you know, no one's got an issue with people asking for money and on sidewalks. It's it's solely about walking into traffic to do it and 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 giving those people information about where they can get help. So so council did approve a communications plan. Happy to hear the people uh, with compassion in their hearts going to their jobs and won't be having their life ruined by distracted driving charge. Thank that, you very that much. That is not happening. You're very welcome. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it, once, once a story like that goes, it's very difficult to try to, to pull it back in, isn't it? Because I mean, you did re- you received national coverage on that. Not the furthest away, I think, was Vancouver. But I was talking to people from Ottawa, Montreal, uh, of course, the Toronto area, and you know we need to do something. And it's not an either or. Either you give money to people when you're sitting at an intersection and asking them to cross traffic to get your donation, or we help people. We we have to help people, but we also have to make sure that when we are helping them, they are safe. The people we're trying to help need to be safe, and the people uh, who are driving need to be safe. And this is uh, this is a safety issue. It's an accident waiting to happen, and and so we need to do we need to b- do both. We can't bury our head in the sand on this. I uh, want to move on to some other stuff. We'll go back to phone calls and uh, emails in just a couple of minutes here. It's uh, Mayor's Town Hall on nine hundred CHML. Uh, the uh, Committee uh, is going to be head- well. Actually, the committee passed this, and I guess it's going to be heading to council. The uh, recommendations from the red tape, red carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe let's back up a little bit and talk about what that is and, yeah. and what's going to happen going forward. So, at my state of the city address, my very first one in January, myself and my co my counselor um, co chair. Uh, Kelvin Galbraith, who's a business a businessman here in Burlington, we started a task force to eliminate red tape, unnecessary process and delays uh, to our businesses, and also roll out the red carpet to attract new businesses and and you know really put Burlington on the map as the place you want to be to do business. So red tape, red carpet task force, and we spent six months talking to everybody in the community through focus groups, one-on-ones, town halls, survey, uh, engaged with all the businesses and stakeholders. Our Burlington Economic Development Corporation was a key part of that, our city staff. And out of that came a set of 22 recommendations that I put to council um, in draft 
just before the summer break and uh, and then had some additional feedback and new recommendations. And then uh, it came to committee a couple of days ago and it's going to council for final approval. But that was it was unanimous that that our council recognizes we need to do more to eliminate inefficiencies and operate at the speed of business. And 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 it was really about, you know, whatever we need to get to. Yes or no faster. That's what this that's the certainty that our business community needs and and although they don't want to hear the no typically they really appreciate hearing it faster so that they can either modify their plans or or make other uh, other arrangements but sort of that drip drip of we don't know and that uncertainty and taking too much time even to get up and running a business that you support and you're enthusiastic about, time is money for all of us. Uh, that's also taxes we're not collecting for every month that that business is not up and running. So, uh, so this was a huge endeavor, and um, a couple of things that have that have come out of it. We we need to improve our process at the city, uh, but we're we're now we've never had this. We are going to get monthly reports at our planning and development committee on how we're realizing the changes and the recommendations that came forward. We're keeping an open uh, portal so people can continue to talk to us about what's working and what's not. So, so this isn't a report that's going to end up on a shelf. We're going to we're going to be holding ourselves accountable to this every single month. Uh, back in the day, uh, some years ago, I guess when I was still doing the show over in Channel Eleven at CH, uh, I emceed the uh, the Chamber of Commerce Awards, and uh, I guess a couple, two three years in a row, mm-hmm. I guess it was. Well, Rob McIsaac was the mayor at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and I was impressed uh, with the relationship between the city and the business community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it, it can fall off the rails pretty quickly if that communication's not there all the time. I mean, you you need to talk to the people that are going to be impacted by policy. You, you do, and you need to understand where, uh, you know, well-intended or well-meaning policies that may have been relevant back in the day when they were instituted are being uh, are being imposed or interpreted in a way that actually works at cross-purposes to what we're trying to achieve. And what we've also discovered is that, uh, like many other issues, we can't do this alone. We need the province at the table with us because um, most of our employment land that is available for the community is a along um, lands along the highway, which is controlled by the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario mm-hmm. and their permitting process. So he- here's the irony. The the province has cut our, um, uh, our deadline, if you will, for processing applications, but they refuse to put a deadline on their own folks to feed into that process. So we can get our work done and we're still waiting for MTO permits. It can take a year, two years for businesses to get what they need in order to expand. And so... How do you deal with that red tape? Well, <laughs> you advocate, you use your voice. It's, mm-hmm. This is the theme of today's show. Is Pretty even, much. even if you don't have power, you have to speak up. So uh, when I was at the um, Association of Municipalities of Ontario conference in August, uh, probably the best part of that conference is you have access to, to book appointments mm-hmm. with ministers. And so we met with the Minister of Transportation and laid out the concerns and, and asked, the, asked their help. And and this has been something that our Economic Development Corporation has also been advocating for a very long time. And uh, and so we think we're going to get some movement on it. We do, we do have a pilot project that's been underway for about a year and a half in Burlington, a partnership with the province, region, and us. Um, but that's still underway. And, and really, um, we, we need to speed up that process, finish those conclusions, and make sure that we're not losing business or at risk of losing business because people can't get the permits that they need and, and the city is kind of handcuffed until the province gives us the green light. 
I know there was a day when people thought, well, Burlington, boy, you, you know, the province builds all these highways for you, so that's the infrastructure that right. you need. And things, and, and it, the city grew beautifully because of that. But you, you have space challenges now. Well, uh, we, you only have a limited amount of industrial land left, as I understand it, and you've got to be very, you know, I guess strategic in, in what you're going to do with it. We we do need to be strategic. We have about four or five hundred acres yeah. of, of uh, available uh, vacant land for for industrial commercial type uses. This is not our mixed use stock. This is this mm-hmm. is play you know uses that don't play well with residential. We have lots of other you know s- mixed use land in the city uh, or repurposing land. So what what we, our future is not greenfield. You're you're absolutely right, and all except for the parcels of uh, vacant employment. But our future is actually in redevelopment and repurposing some of our land to 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 do more for our community with the same acre. Anyway, we'll talk about that in further detail about planning issues and and about going up as opposed to out, etc. Yes, uh, but there has to <laughs> with moderation. With with moderation, and and most importantly, with the community at the table and not being overruled by the province, the local planning appeal tribunal, which uh, needs to go. <laughs> so yeah, tell me about whole it. other conversation. Uh, yeah, and I talk about yeah red tape. Anyway, uh, let's talk pu- public transit. I know that uh, sure. y- you've been an advocate for uh, well altering the public transit, especially when it comes to mm-hmm. students. Absolutely. So I started a conversation uh, at the at the request of residents and trustees and teachers uh, who had approached me to say, you know, you've you in your last budget, you gave uh, free transit to our folks who are low income and you gave free transit during certain uh, off peak hours for seniors. You know, what about students? And so I hosted a, a meeting of all of the school boards in uh, in Halton that touch Burlington. So the two public Catholic and and public boards and the French language Catholic and pu- and public boards and and said to them you know are you are you interested in this they buy passes from us mm-hmm. the, the board already does and I said you know I'm interested and I'm willing to look at free transit and be an advocate for free transit for students but we need your help you know we can't do this alone that's another theme of our dialogue today that the, the municipality needs partners at the table and so um, at that meeting, there was a general expression of, "Yeah, we're we're willing to uh, to look at this further and to look at a cost sharing arrangement, whatever that looks like." And so the next step was to bring it to our Burlington Council to ask for a green light to do the work that would be required to develop an MOU and cost arrangements and all of that. And then I also appeared at the um, Halton District School Board of Trustees last week to ask them to endorse a similar motion. It was unanimous at both tables. I have an upcoming meeting with the, I think it's going to be November, with the Catholic District School Board to ask them the same thing and then the two uh, French language boards. And, And really what I'm looking for at this stage is before we go and spend the time developing a, uh, you know, an MOU memorandum of understanding or some similar document where we agree on cost sharing and what this is going to look like. Tell me if you're even on board, because if you're not on board, this isn't going anywhere mm-hmm. and, and we need you to contribute. So that's that was kind of how I opened the door is we're going to look at free transit for students, but we need you to contribute financially to that. How do they feel about that? Complete, completely on board, Good. like unanimous support, and and I think because the you know the schools and the teachers uh, are on the front lines of young people in our community, and they understand the challenges that they're facing, and they see it as a tool for inclusion and participation in our community. We 
which is really how I see transit as well, that it allows young people to get to after-school activities, to get to school, to get to their friend's house, to get to jobs, and not have to be shelling out uh, every time they want to move around or asking asking for, you know, mom and dad to be the driver. So, um, so, so they are they are totally in support of this, which has been great. Uh, so, you, are you still in the in the beginning stages here? We are. Yeah, okay. we're, we're still you, in have the. You, have you costed it yet? Uh, we have done some preliminary costing. We, uh, if we if we made it free right out of the gate for all the students that are currently on transit, it's about a, f- it's over four hundred thousand dollar revenue hit. We get, um, I think it's close to a hundred ish, if memory serves, from the school board right now. Um, from the school board, maybe 150. So it, it's it's roughly a, a quarter of the cost. But you know, if we are able to put more uh, people on the bus, we also qualify for more gas tax yeah, revenue yeah. from upper levels of government. And just to give you an example of what that looks like, in Oakville, similar size population to Burlington, their share of revenue was five million. Our share was three because our ridership is lower. So that's huge. You know, $2 million sure. is a massive hit that we're not getting because we just don't have the ridership yet. So so we know already from our seniors free off-peak and our low-income folks, um, I, I just was talking to our director of transit, it's been wildly successful, right? It, w- but, and it, it's a win-win, too. I mean, totally. obviously, I mean, it means more gas tax revenue, but it also gets cars off the road. It gets cars off the road. People have more independence. They have more ability to participate, especially people that don't have a vehicle or can't drive for whatever reason. They can now have freedom to participate. The other thing that we're doing is investing more in transit. So our most recent budget, we added more transit and drivers on both conventional and um, and, a, and handyvan. And, uh, you know, because we can't just make it a free service and then the service isn't great. <laughs> so, yeah. so we need to do both. And we just implemented some changes September 1st to add frequency, to add routes, to streamline uh, according to a grid system, the routes so that there's not these meandering through neighborhoods routes, which take too long and, and people just can't spend the time on transit. So so we're really looking at this both. And this is a, I, I'm very proud uh, of this council and happy to work with them because they are a very pro-transit council. All right. Uh, we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, is Burlington getting rainbow crosswalks? We are. Absolutely. That was also unanimous. And the response in the community has been overwhelmingly positive and uh, and also from teachers and schools and what they have said um, when they've contacted me and said this is so great and I want one in front of my school is that young people uh, especially in high school still are bullied for being um, two-spirited LGBTQ a lot of them are, are figuring out who they are and they may not have identified in in a particular way but um, you know they're they're subject to bullying and harassment and so the teachers have said said, for them to be able to walk out the front door of their school and see on a city asset our roadway that the city loves them, embraces them, welcomes them, and and the signal that we have for saying that is our rainbow crosswalk, that makes them feel a part of our community. And, and that is so important to us to send that message. So how soon can you get that done? We've asked our staff to have at least the first one by uh, Pride Week of, or Pride Month of 2020, which is June. 
soon. Yeah. Um, and we're hoping that we'll have more than one. So, you know, the that was just the starting point to, to get us going. And, and they're looking at uh, Aldershot, west end of the city. Uh, as a starting point, uh, people really do want one downtown, right in the heart of the city, right in front of City Hall. The challenge we have right now is that's under construction, so we don't want to install it and rip it up and sure. get have it getting beat up. So that that may be a longer term, but I am very interested in looking at where we can put it in front of schools in Burlington. I hope you have better luck than we did here in Hamilton, uh, mm-hmm. and continue to have here in Hamilton. As mm-hmm. as our listeners know, there's one right in front of Hamilton City Hall, yep. uh, another one right on the uh, the edge of the campus here at McMaster University on the west end of the city. And we unfortunately have some idiots in this town that want to deface them mm-hmm. with, with skid marks, and yep. they, it, they, it's like graffiti. I mean, yep. you know, we go clean it up, and some idiot goes and does it again. But it's ongoing. But the intent is there, and I think the message is there, and I think it's important to have this done. Well, the first time that I saw it after it was installed in Hamilton, it it had the effect that you wanted to, which is this is awesome. This is a city mm-hmm. saying we welcome everybody, and that is exactly the message. All right, we're uh, out of time, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of stuff we get to, but uh, we'll have you back in here in a couple of weeks to talk about some more stuff. Good to see you again. Good to see you. This is always fun. Burlington Mayor, Mary Ann Mead Ward with the Mayor's Town Hall. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.